0: We continue in our time of looking at this Assurance of Salvation series, and and kind of we're in a, if you want to say, a little mini-series of the series, uh, because we're looking at this understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and how does this great gift that God has given to us, what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Why did God give the Holy Spirit to us? And, and, and even in the sense of there's a difference between how God gave the Holy Spirit to us as believers down in the New Testament time as opposed to how God t- you gave the Holy Spirit to certain individuals in the Old Testament time. And the best way to for me to explain to you the, this role of the Holy Spirit, what the, the, how God has gifted us, the, the, the gave us this Holy Spirit to work in our lives, is by starting where Jesus is explaining to His disciples, this is what's going to happen. And that's why we are looking at the John chapter 14, 15, and 16, uh, and, and 17 here over these next several uh, months, is because it kind of explains not just uh, how we are supposed to live as believers in Jesus Christ, but also explains this, how the role of the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit is supposed to function in us. And if you remember last last week we started in this uh time and we they say, you know, Jesus is there with his disciples in an upper room. This is the famous uh Da Vinci uh painting where the, the joke is okay, Jesus is up there in the upper room and at some point in time they say, Hey, okay, time for the picture, and everybody gets behind the same the same table. This is not what the upper room looked like. This is what just Leonardo da Vinci thought it looked like. Because we know that there are more than just the twelve apostles or disciples there, that there were other people that were there a part of this time. And more than likely, it was, there was this main table that the, the disciples and the apostles were sitting at, and then on the outskirts were, were the other, we want to say, other disciples or other followers of Jesus that were there. More than likely, it was a larger room than just this, because in the book of Acts, we're told that somewhere around 120 people are gathered in that same location. And so as Jesus is there having and celebrating the Passover, as we saw last week, He tells him, there's some th- important things that are going to happen to me. Number one, one of you is going to betray me. Of course, I didn't go over too well. To the point where John, as he's there sitting next to Jesus, uh, Peter, across probably from the, across the table, is yelling, maybe not yelling, but motioning, John, John, ask him who it's going to be. And then, of course, Jesus says, well, the one I'm going to give this bread to. And then he turns to Judas Iscariot because Jesus knew that Judas Iscariot was going to do this. And he turns to him and says, What well, you must do, do quickly. And so Judas leaves. None, none of the other disciples knew why Jesus said that or what was going on. But Judas leaves. But they're still mulling this over and thinking in their heads, OK, who's going to betray Jesus? But that's not the only thing he tells them. The other thing he says is this I'm leaving, and where I'm going, you cannot come. And Jesus says that, and the disciples are like, Jesus, we've been with you every moment of of practically every single day for the past three years. What do you mean we can't come with you? Where are you going? And to make that worse, Peter, he turns to Peter and says, Peter, you will disown me not just once, not just twice, but three times before morning even comes. And so... Verse 1 of chapter 14, as we saw last week, Jesus turns to them and says, listen, don't let your hearts be troubled because they have these anxious thoughts. That's what trouble means. There's a, there's a storm brewing inside of them. They, their hearts are, are, are anxious and are trying to make sense of all this. He says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. Put your faith and trust in Me. And then as Jesus goes on throughout the first 14 verses that we saw, he answers that question of I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He answers the other question of, we want to see the Father, where he turns and says, I've been with you for these past three years. If you want to see the Father, all you have to do is look to me because I and the Father are one. The Father is in me, and I am in the Father. And then Jesus continues in that conversation. And really in the conversation, he continues and asking this question, and that's the first question, in the, if you again, you've outlined there in your bulletin, the first question is, how do we know? How do we know that we really or that they really love God? How do we know that we really love God? What are some signs or characteristics of a, a follower of, of Jesus or a follower of God? Jesus goes on in verse 15 and says, this: "If you love me, keep my commands." Now usually that's how our, again, the the NIV usually translates and we usually think, okay, well that's a command that Jesus is saying. If you love me, then then I command you to keep my commands. But it's actually not a command. It's actually kind of a a condition. If you love me, then you will keep my commands. And that's the condition that Jesus really lays out there. If you're going to love me, if you're going to be my follower, then it's going to affect how you live your life. If you love Me, then you will keep, you will obey, you will follow My commands. You know, Jesus is, in a few hours will be leaving them and being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane and then be put on trial, a in, in illegal trial. Then He will be sentenced to death and then He will be crucified. And so this, these final last hours are so important for that Jesus is, is giving his, his followers one last, if you want to say, one last thing to help them through this time. And so you can see it there that Jesus doesn't say this one time. He says four different times in these 15 verses that if you love me, then you will keep my commands. John chapter 14, verse 15, which we just read. John chapter 14, verse 21. Let me read that. It says this. Whoever has My commands and keeps them or obeys them is the one who loves Me. Verse uh, 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves Me will will obey, keep, same word, My teaching, My commands. Verse 24 is is in the negative, but it's uh, the same understanding. Verse 24, Anyone who does not love Me will not obey My teaching or My commands. Jesus says, if you want to know if you really are my follower, if you really love God the Father, then you keep, you follow, you walk in obedience to my commands. And again, we're not doing anything that Jesus isn't doing. He goes on and and says this, you know, we're in a real sense, we are just following Jesus' example by doing this. Because all you have to do is, is jump to the very last verse of, of verse 31 there, where Jesus himself will say this. He says, verse 31, we'll start in verse 30, I will not say much more to you, for the prince of this world is, and the prince of this world is, is whom? Devil, Satan. This prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, referring to the fact that the prince of this world is is is, is influencing Judas of Iscariot to uh, to to and 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 I, he doesn't have authority over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that what that I love the Father and how do I love the Father? Because I do exactly what my Father has commanded or instructed me. Again, Jesus Himself is doing this, showing this, this example and saying, listen, I'm going to show you this how much I love God the Father because I'm going to obey what He wants me to do. And what was that? I'm going to offer my life as that sacrifice. And I'm going to do it willingly. You know, there's a reason why when Jesus gets arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, And Peter pulls out his little dagger and tries to fight off the soldiers and cuts off the the, the ear of the high priest. There's a reason why Jesus says, Simon, no, 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 don't do that. Even back in in John chapter 13, Jesus knew at the time when He was heading to this celebration of Passover, John tells us Jesus knew His hour had come. The reason why He came in the first place. This was it. And there's a reason why, as he had these, well, as he's put on trial, he, he was like that, as Isaiah 53 says, he was like that sheep that was led to the slaughter, that he didn't speak anything. He, he didn't defend himself. He just let things play out. Why? Because this was all according to God's plan. He said, so The world's going to know how much I love the Father because I'm just going to walk in obedience to what the Father has instructed me to do. Oh yeah, by the way, if you really love God, you would do the same thing. It's our lifestyle that proves if we really are following, if we really are a follower of Jesus. And again, sometimes people I I will say that and people are like, oh, okay, that means I have to have a list of rules of do's and don'ts. I, like I have to wear certain clothes I can't I can't I can't do certain things I can't and again depending on the generation some of these things were like you can't play cards you can't go to movie theaters you can't do th- and no 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 that is not at all what it means to be a follower of Jesus the question is are we becoming like Jesus in every single aspect of our life are we acting like Jesus are we are we loving like Jesus are we caring like Jesus are we Thinking like Jesus. Because it was a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And it was all about you know certain clothes you can and can't wear. We would all be wearing tunics. And sandals. It has nothing to do with that. You see, talk is cheap. One of the tests that so many people talk about is what's called the checkbook test. The guy by... Nowadays... Uh, the, I just had his name in my head. Uh, Dave Ramsey is like the Christian guru of, of, of Christian financial uh, advice. And if you don't know Dave Ramsey, I would encourage you to, to, to look him up and, and follow his, his financial principles. Uh, Marguerite and I have done that for many, many years. And, and it's been wonderful in making sure of just how we handle our finances according to God's plan. Larry Burgett was the guy before him. And he came up with this checkbook test and said, you know, if you want to take a snapshot of of are you really following Jesus with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, if you really are a follower of Jesus, then what you need to do, according to Larry Perkett, is you look at how you use your money. And so. The younger generation are thinking, checkbook, uh, what in the world is a checkbook? And so nowadays you can say, you know, credit card a statement, check maybe, or bank statement, where you look at asking that question, where do you spend most of your resources? At? You spend it on your house? You spend it on your car? You spend it on your clothes? You spend it on your cell phone? What do you spend the most of your resources that God has entrusted you with? What is it that drives you? And Larry Burkett, this is a quote from him, will say this. You know, how we use our money is the clearest outside indicator of what we really believe. If someone is a true disciple of Jesus Christ, the evidence will be found in that person's everyday life, including his or her use of their money. And that's why he came up with this checkbook test. If you want to know know, what you really value in life, What's your number one priority in life? It usually is the number one thing that you spend your resources on. Because anybody can say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. The talk is cheap. It's our actions and our priorities that prove who or what we really love. We say that again, it's our actions is what we spend the most time with. If so, so many times we have this giant list of, if you want to say this, to-do list, that every, that every day we wake up and there's all these tasks that we have to accomplish. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you prioritize which ones get accomplished and which ones don't get accomplished that day? Because there's 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 t- not enough time in in our days to accomplish everything that we want to accomplish. Well, it's because what we value is what we prioritize, is what we say this is important to me, and this isn't important to me, and we get thrown in at the bottom of the list. Or, is this is what is who keeps bothering me, and what I can sh- shove down because they're not going to pick up the phone and call me so many times that's how businesses work we were when we lived in uh, in clearfield county there was a huge drug problem huge drug problem to the point where the community came together and and had this meeting to say we gotta we gotta figure this out how in the world do we take back our community uh from from these 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 drugs and uh, that is just ripping families apart and killing people so they invited the DA. They invited one of the one of the state troopers to come, and this is literally what the DA said. He said, "Have you ever heard the, the saying, the, the, the squeaky wheel gets the oil'?" He said, "If you, we don't have enough state troopers to to cover this whole county." Because the state police are, are distributed by the number of calls. And so if you want more state troopers in your county, then you dial 911 every time you see something illegal. Every time. And what happens at the end of the year, when they the, the the, move the state troopers around, they look at the volume of the call, and then they will send more state troopers to come to the, Clearful County to get your, then they will help it with this process. I was like, oh, that's interesting. That that's how our state troop sy- trooper system works. It's priority, whatever is priority. And so if you don't get the calls, then, then down in Harrisburg, they think, hey, everything must be hunky dory out there. There's no crime. Even though the average person knows that's not true. Again, talk is cheap. Our actions, what we do, our priorities, what we say, this is important to us, and we stick with it. That proves what or who we really love. Which is why Jesus says, "Listen, if you want to be, if you're going to be my follower, and you really want to know that you really love God, that you really love Jesus, then you will keep, then you will obey my commands. You will walk in obedience." me you will become like me and then jesus goes on and explains to them about this other helper that he's going to send. one of the things that they that they thought and you see that even when in verse 18 he says i'm not going to leave you as orphans i'm not going to abandon you when i leave and of course, this place, you, you can't come because he's talking about his death and, and resurrection and ultimately talking about his, his returning to the Father that he, he's going to go. He says, you know, as I leave, I'm not going to just forget about you, to forsake you, to abandon you, to, to just give up on you. But instead, I'm going to send another helper. And then Jesus explains the role that this helper is going to have in their, their life. And that helper is is as is simple in, in different English translations, it may say advocate, an advocate or helper. Is just that understanding that there's gonna be somebody else that's gonna send, that's gonna walk with you just like I've been walking with you these past three years. That's gonna be with you every single day, every single night is gonna be with you. I'm not abandoning you. And who is this helper? There's uh, Jesus calls them two by two different names. John chapter 14, verse 17, He says the Spirit of Truth. He says, verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper or advocate to help you and be with you forever. Verse 17, Who is that helper? The Spirit of Truth. Verse uh, 26, He calls them the Holy Spirit. And that's usually what we we call this, this helper, the Holy Spirit. Verse 26, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I have said to you. And so that's who the Helper that Jesus is going to send to help His disciples as they go through their lives. But how is this Helper going to affect them? And Jesus specifically says, this is what this Holy Spirit is going to do in your life. And this is how the Holy Spirit works in our lives as well. This is the role of the Holy Spirit. Again, the Holy Spirit is a, is a gift that God has given to us because we cannot we cannot live for Jesus by ourselves in our own strength we can't do this Christian life it has to be through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and so many times we talk about the Holy Spirit and so many times especially especially if you are more along the the conservative side, you start talking about the Holy Spirit and you're thinking, oh, you get a little uneasy because of some of the abuse that happens and and the more of the charismatic and Pentecostal side of things. And we have to first look at the Scriptures and ask ourselves the question, how does Jesus describe to His disciples this is how the Holy Spirit works in your life? And so Jesus goes on and says, the Helper or the Holy Spirit will do some very important things number 1 he's going to be with his disciples forever the holy spirit will be with us forever those verses i just read totally different than the old testament totally different the holy spirit was there we know that creation god's spirit was hovering uh, uh, the holy spirit was there because people like like the prophets People like the kings were given the Holy Spirit. But the average Israelite did not have the Holy Spirit in them. In fact, Psalm 51, if you look at Psalm 51, that's after King David, this one Sunday school class has been talking about King David. and A couple of weeks ago, they looked at the, that whole scene with David and, and Bathsheba. And how the prophet Nathan comes to David and tells him the story about, about how this guy, this rich guy, goes and steals the lamb of, of the poor man. And, and David is just fuming and it's like, how dare the guy does it? And then those famous words that Nathan the prophet says, you are that man. And then he writes Psalm 51, crying out to God. And he actually says, you know, take not your Holy Spirit from me. And that, that was the reality because he is reminded of himself of what happened to King Saul. Because of Saul's disobedience, what happened to him? God takes His Spirit from him. God takes the kingdom from him. And David, was saying there is he's repenting and crying out and saying, God, I've, I've, I've sinned. Please do not treat me the same way as King Saul. Have Your grace and mercy. Keep Your spirit upon me to anoint me to be king. Interesting thing is, so many times in... After we get through the Assurance of Salvation series, we're going to look at some of the psalms and go through uh, some of the psalms. And one of the things I will say over and over again when we look at the psalms is you have to understand the psalms in the Old Testament context before you, have to, before you can apply them to our lives today. Because what happens so many times, and you can hear songs upon songs on the radio that talk about this thing, is is they will take these phrases from the psalms and they will then, then just transport them to our lives today that's why they talk about so many times victory and why we have, we have how we have victory over our enemies and because the psalms say that we have to realize that when david is talking about and the psalms are talking about the victory over their enemies and crying out to god victory over their enemies they are talking about real armies and real enemies coming against them the only enemy that we have new testament wise is whom satan and we already have the victory according to the song we just sang, Martin Luther. We don't have to do some crazy, you know, cantation to drive Satan out. Only one small word will drive them out, and that's the name of Jesus. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of who Jesus, what Jesus has done. And so, again, you have to start and ask the question what's the context of the Old Testament before you apply it to the New Testament? You get some screwed up theology in the Keith Green. I love Keith Green. Marguerite does not like Keith Green because she, she just—he's uh, just, just a madman on the piano, and just—and if you never heard Keith Green, he sits on that piano and he is just banging the piano as hard as he can and, and going to town. He writes some great songs. Love his songs, except for this one. Creating me a clean heart, oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, O Lord. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Whoa. You say, well, he's quoting Psalm 51. Yeah, he's quoting Psalm 51. He just didn't apply it to our lives today because according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit will be with His disciples forever. Those who love God, those who walk in obedience to God, will always have the Holy Spirit. Number two, the whole, this Helper, the Holy Spirit, will be in us, in the disciples. John 14, verse 17. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him. For He lives with you and will be where? In you. Now we, that that short little word in so, so many times we just passed over, it's, it's the understanding of, of that He will be in us, that He will control us, that He will, will influence our lives. That's the understanding of that word in. And if we, and if you've been part of our, our time in revelation and our time uh, last year uh, last week that understanding of in Christ that as we are in Christ, Christ is controlling our lives, we are to walk how in the spirit, as Galatians says, he is, he is the one that's controlling us, and that's what Jesus is saying here. He will be in us, we are temples of whom the Holy Spirit, he is in us, he is influencing our lives, he is controlling us that is how Jesus says the helper, the Holy Spirit, will be in you. He will be controlling you. He will be influencing every single moment of every single day. The in you means that He will be, that they will be influenced by this helper. Again, we can't, we cannot live this a life that is pleasing and honoring to God in and of ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit in us that influences us and helps us understand how to live a life and how, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in America, what it means to be a follower of Jesus in China, totally different. What it means to be a follower of Jesus in, Hind- in, in, in um, India, totally different. What it means to be a follower of Jesus in, in Mexico or in Canada, totally different. The Holy Spirit is the one that is going to influence us, to lead us, and to guide us, and to show us how to live a life that is pleasing and honoring the Christ. Number three. He's going to teach the disciples. Verse 26. But the, helper, the, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. He's going to be our instructor. He's going to be that teacher that again will show us, that will lead us, that will guide us, that will help us know how we are to live a life that is pleasing and honoring to God. Number four, He is going to remind the disciples of Jesus' Word. Verse 26, But the Helper, the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. How in the world did Matthew, did did Mark get from Peter? Did Luke get from eyewitnesses? Did John who was an older man by this time, how in the world did they remember this is what Jesus said? Because of the Holy Spirit that was bringing these things back to the mind. During those 40 days when Jesus would pop in and out between, the, between what we call the, the resurrection Sunday with Easter to Pentecost, How in the world did they have all of a sudden these light bulbs start going off? Why in the world did all of a sudden in Acts all of a sudden do you see the total change where they become fearful to all of a sudden? There's no stopping. Even the same people who threatened Jesus, they're threatening them and said, Listen, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, we are going to kill you. And they say, So be it. Because we can't be silent. Because that's how much Jesus has impacted our lives. Because the Holy Spirit, whom the Father was going to give in Jesus' name, is going to become a part of them and is going to bring these things to their mind and be like, oh, yeah, that's what Jesus meant by that. Oh, yeah, when Jesus was doing this miracle, oh, that's the significance of that. And you see, as Jesus says, these four things is how the Holy Spirit's going to work in your life. This is how the Holy Spirit functions in our lives as well. The Helper will be with us forever. God will not remove His Holy Spirit from our lives. He will be in us. He will be influencing our lives. That still, small voice that when, that you, that we, again, this is all about getting ourselves and cultivating that that fertile soil in our heart so that when that still, small voice whispers and says, no, or that still, small voice that whispers and says, I want you to go to them and to say this, where there's still a small voice that whispers and says, I want you to help them in this way, that we say, okay, Lord, because He's influencing our lives. He's teaching us, and especially through the Bible. Especially through the Bible. That's why the Word of God is so important, because it's God's Word. And what happens so many times, when, when this is why Paul will say, God's Word is living and active sharper than any double-edged sword. Because God's Spirit takes these words off of this page and as we're reading it, shows us this mirror in our face and says, this is who you really are compared to a holy God. Or it takes these words off this page and says, you have blown it in this situation. Repent. Or it takes these words and says, way to go. You're walking in obedience. God's spirit teaches us, especially through the Bible and also God's word, the God's spirit reminds us about God's word. When Josh McDowell came to State College about, be about a year, year and a half ago now, I took some of the youth and myself went to hear him and and, so many t- and one of the things he says that is so true, he says, yes, God's Spirit is in every single believer, but so many times God's Spirit has nothing to work with inside of the believer's life. And the person who was asking the Q&A after he said that, he said, what do you mean? He says so many times God's Spirit is trying to get our attention. God's Spirit is trying to speak to us. God's Spirit is trying to teach us. But because we don't have God's Word in our hearts and we don't know the truth of God's Word, we don't recognize the voice of God speaking to us. That's why God's Word is so important. It's that compass that helps navigate, that map that helps navigate. Because we all have voices in our head and we're not crazy when you admit that but how do you know it's your own desire as opposed to God's desire it's because we test it according to God's word cuz God's spirit can't say anything against the truth of God's word God's spirit isn't going to tell us to do something that goes against what God's word says which is and again as a pastor this has this has happened so, not so many times. This happened one time. But I hear other pastors say the same thing happens. How many times do you have, they say, as pastors, sometimes people will come into your office and they will literally say this. God told me, God's Spirit told me to divorce my spouse. I literally had someone told, tell me that. And I said, are you sure it's God's Spirit, the, the voice of God, telling you that? And they said, yep hundred percent i said well what happens to all those verses in the bible that talk about we're supposed to be faithful to our spouses that that god hates divorce well i don't know pastor but but god is leading me and telling me that i'm supposed to divorce my spouse i said i don't think that's god well i'm sorry to hear that pastor walked out of my office left the church a few weeks later They either were divorced and already engaged on the same day. And I said, that wasn't God's Spirit. They were having a fling on the side and didn't want to be married to their spouse anymore. And God's Spirit cannot say anything contradictory to what God's Word says. And God's Spirit, when we hide God's Word into our hearts, God's Spirit then uses those things to say, this is what my will is this is how that verse applies to your situation this is how you are to walk in obedience to me again god as jesus is there and as he's saying you know i'm leaving i'm going away and this is a good thing that i'm leaving because i'm going to my father But I'm also not going to abandon you. I'm not going to leave you with orphans. In fact, I'm going to send another helper. Just like I have been with you for these past three years, He is going to be with you day in and day out. And He is going to lead you. He is going to guide you. He is going to teach you. He is going to be in you and influence your life. He is going to be with you forever to the moment that you take your final breath on this planet. He will be with you for those who follow after Jesus. That's how God's Spirit works in our lives. That's why, as believers in Jesus Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit, yes, the gift of salvation is so important because that starts us on this journey, but understand how the Holy Spirit works in our lives to empower us, to mold us, to make us, to lead us, to guide us is the best gift that Jesus has ever done, given to us. We're not forsaken. We're not abandoned. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then His Spirit dwells in you and wants to work in this way. As we close today, I want to give you a chance to stare at your seat, a silent prayer. Number one, do you know Jesus? Have you put your faith and trust in Him? Have you been saved from the penalty of your sin? Number two, if that is you, then are you showing the world that you love God the Father? Are you showing the world that you really are a follower of Jesus Christ by how you live? And number three, praise the Lord that He doesn't leave us alone, but His Spirit lives in us. And would you respond with that, again, that raised arm and say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. I surrender my life, I surrender my will, I surrender my hopes, my dreams, my ambitions to You. I surrender everything to You. Allow me to walk in obedience to how Your Spirit lives.